Isn't God good? Well, a lot of people are on the road. It's July 4th. I can't believe it was a year ago we let all those balloons go outside. Wasn't that a year ago? Or was that two years ago? It was one year ago. How many of you were not here for that? Look at that. That shows you the growth. Because we let hundreds of balloons go up in the air uh, for 4th of July. I was just thinking about it. Anyway, everybody happy tonight? If you're, if you're happy and you know it, say amen. All right, we're going to look tonight. Uh, now, let me just tell you what's happening. I, I want to look at Romans one more time. Next week, Mike Maiden will be here, uh, the new president of Church on the Rock International. I really want you to meet him and hear him, and I, I think it's going to be great. He's got a little church of about 7,000 people in Phoenix, Arizona, and, and uh, it's just doing what, really, really well. Great guy. He'll be here next Wednesday night. Don't miss that. And then the Wednesday after, we begin what we're calling the one that got away. And it's on the Song of Solomon. And how many of you have never heard a message or a series on the Song of Solomon? Raise your hand. How many of you ever heard the whole book taught, the whole thing? The rest of you, I guess you're not here. <clears throat> you don't know what you've heard. That's all right. Well, we're going to be doing that um, in two weeks. So looking forward to that. It'll be a great summer um, series. I, I'm excited. I've never taught it. Never have. So the one that got away. And I'll tell you what that means the night we start. But I want to look at the road to ruin. Now, I know that doesn't sound real edifying. Doesn't sound like good news. But I, I think about uh, three or four weeks ago, I taught on Romans 1. And since then, Supreme Court passed uh, or decreed that the Defense of Marriage Act was unconstitutional, which is utterly, totally insane. But anyway, that's what they ruled. And when they did, they opened the floodgates to all kinds of things. And you can look at our culture through one of two sets of eyes. You can look at the culture through your natural eyes, which is a mistake, because your natural eyes will never tell you the truth, or will never tell you or interpret reality according to God's viewpoint. But you can look at also the culture through the wisdom and the knowledge of the scriptures, which are revelation to you and to me. I want to be sure that our church and our uh, dear radio listeners uh, are looking at the culture and what's happening all around us at breakneck speed, that we would look at it through the eyes of Scripture. Amen? So that's what we're doing tonight. And I'm gonna, so I'm going to recap Romans 1 and kind of approach it from a different angle. And I think it's going to be good for us because how many of you feel like saying about once a day, what in the world is going on? Amen? Well, we're about to see it, all right? Father, thank you for your word tonight, and we pray that you will speak to us, that we would see the culture and the events swirling around us through the eyes of God, through the eyes of Scripture, and not through natural eyes. We pray, Lord, with Elijah, who prayed for the servant, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Open our eyes tonight, Father. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, tell your neighbor, your mind's about to be renewed. 
You can be seated. Now, um, the Bible says, be not conformed to this world. That means put into this world's mold. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that's the choice of every believer. There's all kinds of people that are saved whose minds are not being renewed. Uh, They're not reading the Scriptures, not spending time in the Word. And because of that, they're, they're being conformed to the world and the way the world looks at things. I, I'm continuously amazed at how so much of the church is looking at different issues at the way the world looks at them and not the way the Bible looks at them. So we can either be biblical or we can be carnal. Now, how many of you want to be biblical? Seriously. I mean, isn't that what we're called to do? So be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's what we're doing tonight. And let's look at what um, Paul is writing to the Romans. He is uh, writing and addressing the Greco-Roman world that uh, the church of the Romans, the Roman church, was living in. Now, you know, there was Greece, and then Greece was absorbed by Rome. And Rome absorbed a lot of the Greek culture. Now, let me tell you that uh, Greek or Greece was very, very carnal, sensual, and very, very given to homosexuality. Then Rome absorbed that culture, and as the Roman Empire grew and and Rome became the most powerful nation on the earth, they too became very, very given to homosexuality, bisexuality. It was very, very, very common. Um, And any historian worth his salt will tell you that that was part and parcel of what destroyed the Roman Empire. Now, let's look at what Paul says to this Greco-Roman culture when he writes to them. uh, And when I read Romans 1, folks, wow, you talk about a chapter that is absolutely, profoundly relevant to us right now. I mean, it's like it was written in today's newspaper. But here we are. Now, let's look at it. Romans 1.18 Paul talks about the wrath of God. Not a real popular topic, not one that everybody jumps up and amens, but the wrath of God is real. Amen, folks? Because the Bible says it is. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness or ungodliness and wickedness of people who are doing what? Now, this is the main problem, so say this with me. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So that right there is sort of the springboard verse and it's telling us why the wrath of God is being manifested, is being revealed. Because wicked people, that is people that reject Christ, reject God, and live in sin, practice sin, are suppressing the truth by their wickedness. Pushing it down. Uh, getting it out of the way, okay? So, so that's the springboard verse. So keep that in mind. That tells us why the wrath is coming. So let's look at the root of the ruin of the Roman culture, and hence our culture. Note here that the wrath of God is called a revelation. It's a revelation. It is being revealed that we might understand how to interpret what's happening around us. The, the wrath of God is being revealed. And we're going to see how it is revealed, 
how it's manifested uh, as we go along tonight. Now, bluntly, Paul is stating that the wrath of God is the revelation. The wrath is the revelation. And what is the, the wrath of God? Well, the wrath of God is our experience of the total incompatibility of the unrepented, of unrepented sin before the holiness of God. That's the wrath of God. The unrepentant sinner cannot endure the presence or the holiness of God. The unrepentant sinner can't do it. Now, God's wrath does not mean that God is mad. I want you to really get that in your mind. It doesn't mean God's going around blowing his stack, getting angry, having a temper tantrum like we might do. So can you say with me, God is not mad. When we say he's mad, we are making him like one of us. And he's not one of us. God is a spirit. He's not a human being. So he's not moody. He's not unstable. Uh, he's not subject to temper tantrums. Here's what God is. God is holy. And the unrepentant sinner experiences his wrath against sin. Okay? God is patient. How many of you are glad he's a patient God? Oh, man, I don't think we'd have very many in church tonight if he weren't patient. He's patient, and he will wait long to draw us to repentance. Will he not? Okay, there we go. It was sticking on me. There we go. But his justice and truth cannot forever tarry. And when judgment sets in on a person or a culture, a civilization or an epic, his holiness and justice are revealed as wrath to the unrepentant. He sort of does like Popeye, and I don't mean to belittle God, but remember Popeye used to say, I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. God reaches that place. He'll wait and wait and wait and wait and bear along with us, but finally God says, I can't stands no more. Now, what was the central sin of Paul's day and of our day too. Simply stated, the sin of Romans 1 is what we already looked at. They suppressed the truth by their wickedness. So those who seek to remain in their wickedness always suppress the truth. What did Jesus say? He said, this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light. That was the condemnation. Light came into the world, a bunch of people walking around in darkness, and when they saw the light, they chose darkness over the light. And it happens all the time, happening right now in the United States of America. It was the problem in Paul's day, and it's also the problem in our day. People are seeing the light, but they're getting to the point in, in America, for instance, now, where they are outlawing even talking about the light so they don't have to deal with the light because they love darkness more than light. And it's a heartbreaker. Now, on account of wickedness and a desire to persist in sin, many suppress, push down, essentially tell the truth to shut up. Go away. Get away from me. Don't bug me. Don't cramp my style. Paul warned Timothy, the time will come, Timothy, when people are not going to tolerate sound doctrine. We're there, folks. He goes on, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers. Now notice, it's not the teacher going to them. 
It's them looking for the teachers that'll tickle their ear. It's, it's the ones who want their ears tickled that are looking for teachers that will do it. So they get a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, not what they need to hear. Now, out of a desire to cling to their sin and justify themselves, there is an increasing and widespread tendency for people of our own society to call good what God calls sinful. Is that not where we're going? And now, as back in Paul's day, the wrath of God, ladies and gentlemen, is being revealed. It is. Now, is it, is it coming on the church? No. Not the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. The wrath of God is not coming on the church. But the wrath of God is coming on a culture that has rejected soundly and roundly the light that is Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, so on account of the sin of the repeated collective and obstinate suppression of the truth, God's wrath is being revealed on the culture of the decadent West, including America. And that is the root cause of the ruin we are watching happening around us. You know, we used to be on a slide. Now we're in a free fall. All right? Now next we see the second step down into depravity in revelation that is refused. Now here we're going to look at how a, a society like the Roman culture of Paul's day or our culture today uh, is refusing the clear revelation of God. Let's look. Paul writes, And since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Can you say those last words with me? Because God has made it plain to them. To who? Everybody. Look what it says. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly, clearly seen. How? Being understood from what He made. So that they are without what? They're without excuse. They're without excuse. Why are they without excuse? Because it's obvious that a designer made everything we see. You can talk about evolution all day long till you're blue in the face. But deep down, I truly believe that folks know that can't be right. Because this is clear design. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you are clearly designed. Don't look at me and say it. I was clearly designed. Tell your neighbor, you were clearly designed. You didn't evolve out of some amoeba crawling out of some ancient primordial soup. God made you. He made me. And Paul's saying, and, and look at all the glory, the stupendous creation all around us, stars in the sky. I mean, it, it goes on and on. It is breathtaking, awe-inspiring what God has made. And, and, and Paul says, I don't care who they are or what they claim. When they die, they are without excuse if they deny God. Now, we are not dealing with simple ignorance here. Well, I just didn't know. It is clear that Paul is talking about willful suppression. And while it's true that the pagan people of Paul's day did not have the Scriptures, they didn't have the New Testament, they had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New, they are still without excuse. 
David said, Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handy work. Day to day, they utter speech. They're talking every day, night under night. Uh, after night, they show forth their knowledge. There is no voice nor language where they are not heard. The creation of God. Now, they're without excuse, Paul says. Why? Because they had the revelation of creation. Creation reveals God and testifies not only of His existence, but also of His attributes, His justice, and His power. All of this renders those raised outside the context of faith. You know, these people were always hearing about living in the far side of Africa in some little village where they've never heard the gospel. And what is God going to do with them? That's who Paul is talking about here. That even those raised outside the context of faith, whether in the first century or today, they are going to be without excuse. Therefore, because of the witness and revelation of the creation, and on account of the conscience placed in every person, those who suppress the truth are without excuse for this suppression. Amen. They are suppressing what deep down they know. Now, it's been my experience in 30 years as a pastor that those I counsel with concerning their sin, they know deep down what they are doing. I've talked to people trying to justify everything under the sun. But if you stay with them long enough, you realize they know exactly what they're doing. Deep down, they got a little voice that says, you're lying, you're lying, you're justifying, you know this ain't right. I purposely said ain't. For those of you, for my purest radio listeners who correct me sometimes. <laughs> they do. They know deep down what they're doing. Now, they may have suppressed the still small voice of God because you can suppress it. You can tell that still small voice to be quiet. And they may have sought to keep his voice at bay by what I call stinking thinking, justifying it. They may have even turned to false teachers to confirm them in their sin. But deep down, they know what they're doing is wrong. And at the end of the day, they're still without excuse. So you, you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool that knower. You know in your knower, deep down, if you're doing right or wrong. Now, the third step in the spiral down to depravity is the catastrophic consequences. Now, here's what Paul writes further. For although they knew God, they knew of God, they knew God, they're not ignorant. They neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but became vain in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. This, that, that passage scares me. It, it puts the fear of the Lord in me. Because church, that's exactly what happens. See, when you, when you know God is there and you refuse to thank Him, you refuse to honor Him as God, but you turn your back on Him and go your own way, as we're going to see in just a moment, God finally says, okay, go ahead, and you become vain in your thinking. Now what that means is you think 
your mind is working, but it's not carrying you anywhere. It's the hamster's wheel. It's like the hamster on the hamster's wheel. He's running with all of his might, but he's not getting anywhere. Vain thinking is futile thinking. It means you can think, but you never arrive at a good conclusion. Your thinking never leads you to truth. It never leads you to God. It's vain thinking. You're on the hamster's wheel, but you get nowhere. You get nowhere. And your mind comes under darkness. Although they claimed to be wise, Paul says, they became fools, the Greek word morons, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds, animals, and reptiles. In other words, you give up worshiping the true God to worship either men, birds, animals, or reptiles. And what Paul is saying, you end up worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And when you go from worshiping the true creator to worshiping what he created, then your mind is in darkness. That's why I'm a big believer. Thank God all the time. Thank God that he saved your soul. Thank God you're covered in the blood. Thank God that once you were lost, now you're found. Thank God that he's kept you alive and healthy. Thank God. I mean, just find something to thank him for and thank him. I've never known a... I'm going to be careful here. I've never known a depressed, thankful person. But I have known many depressed and angry, thankless people. There is power in giving thanks. But now, he says, Here, here's these people. They, they claim to be wise, but they're stupid enough, moronic enough to not give God the glory for creating them and creating everything else. And they turn, saying they are wise, they begin to worship what God made instead of the maker And in thinking they're wise, they've actually become fools. Now, this should be very familiar to anybody paying attention. In Paul's day, even more so in ours, a prideful culture has set God aside. Whether through brazen atheism, militant secularism, or through neglect and willful apathy, God has been escorted to the margins of our arrogant culture and is getting worse every day. The secular culture out there, not the church, the secular culture out there is now beginning to outlaw, legislate God out. Outlaw the mention of God. Outlaw witnessing for him. They don't want God in this culture. Now, All the while they're saying we don't want all that old, traditional, silly, religious stuff because we are enlightened. We have advanced. We have evolved to a higher place. But what they've really done is become fools. Okay? His wisdom has been forcibly removed from our schools and the public square. Any reminders of him are increasingly removed by force of laws, we just said, the traditional family, human sexuality, chastity, self-control, moderation, and almost every other virtue have been scorned and willfully rejected. And that's exactly the way it was in ancient Rome. If you didn't worship Caesar, you weren't to worship anything. Now, God spells out the consequences. Here they are. They became vain in their thinking, and their senseless minds became dark. Although they claimed to be wise, 
they became fools. Now, while claiming to be so wise and advanced, we have become foolish and vain as our intellects grow darker by the day. Our obsession, have you noticed this? Our obsession with foolish, temporary, silly things knows no bounds. We can't make or keep commitments. Addictions are increasingly serious and widespread. And all the most basic indicators indicate grave decline in this culture. And folks, it all goes back to the root of the ruin. We have suppressed the truth of God. And you pay a price for that. Now, graduation rates, my Lord, we can't even talk about it. SAT scores, teenage pregnancy, STDs, abortion rates, AIDS, divorce, cohabitation rates, all of it. If you went back just 50 years, you would see a totally different America. Even our capacity to think clearly. Now, I'm serious about this. Even our capacity to think clearly, logically, commonsensically, and have intelligent and meaningful conversations is becoming increasingly impossible. How do you respond to an upside-down culture that is calling right wrong and wrong right? How do you talk to somebody who's calling what you know to be wrong right? And what you know to be right, they're calling it wrong. It's upside down. Sometimes I feel like I'm in an asylum. What has happened? What are we dealing with? We're dealing with professing to be wise. They become fools. And their foolish minds have become darkened. We're going to see that more in just a minute. In spite of this tragic dumbing down, people today congratulate themselves for being tolerant, open-minded, and non-judgmental. It's hard not to see that our senseless minds have become very dark, our thoughts have become vain, and our behavior has become foolish. And yet, the darkness, foolishness, idolatry, and vanity get even worse. Paul next describes the revelation of God's wrath, or how does God's wrath manifest itself? Now, last time I taught this, I asked you, I said, when you think of wrath, I want to venture to guess you probably think of Sodom and Gomorrah and fire falling down from heaven and vaporizing those cities in the bat of an eye, right? Or the great flood of Noah's day and something catastrophic and world-shaking happening and, and everybody saw it and it was horrible and thunder and lightning and, and earth moving and opening up and swallowing people. And when we think of wrath, that's what we tend to think about. But Romans 1 is going to introduce us to a whole different manifestation of wrath. So let's see what he says. He writes, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like fire falling from heaven and the earth shaking and all of that. That's very, very different, isn't it? But this is what Paul says is the way that God's wrath was manifesting in the ancient Roman culture, and this is one of the ways that God's wrath is manifested. And i got to tell you, it is scarier to me than the ground opening up and swallowing folks because God turned them over. Look what he says. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, because of this, 
Read it with me again. God gave them over. That's the second time he said it. God gave them over. What did he give them over to? Preach it to me. To shameful lusts. Now he's going to describe what he means by that. Now, Jeff Wickwire didn't write this. And bigoted haters and homophobes didn't write this. This is in the Bible. I'm just quoting the Bible. Now, if you as a believer have a problem with the Bible being quoted on this issue, then i got to ask you a question before I continue. Where, then, are you getting your truth? If, you're, if you say, well, you know, um, we just don't lean on that anymore. We don't believe that anymore. We're, we're more advanced. We're, we're tolerant. We, we love. Um, and, and you go talking about sloppy agape and greasy grace. And here's the message of our culture, that love trumps truth. If you really love people, you won't rain on their parade. You'll let them be what they are. And, but again, I ask you, if you reject Romans 1, and you say, well, Christians ought not be quoting that, it's hateful, then are you calling Paul a hater? Are you calling God, who inspired the Scriptures, a hater? Is that what you're doing? Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we're reading Scripture. So are you saying to me that God is a hater? If God inspired Paul to write this? Are you saying Paul was a homophobe bigot because Paul wrote this? You better be careful there. Because if you reject this, where then are you getting your truth? You're getting it not from the Scriptures, but from the culture. You're getting it from the culture. And what did we quote at the beginning? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So on this issue, you can either conform to the culture or you can have your mind renewed. Okay? That's all I know to say about this with some folks who think this ought not be quoted. Even their women, he goes on to say, after using the phrase shameful lusts, even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men also abandoned what kind of relations, everyone? Natural relations. I looked that up in the Greek today, and it's still there. Natural relations with who? Women. And were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves, that means in their bodies, in their persons, the due penalty for their error. And I'll just let you decide what that means. In these passages, the manifestation of wrath, the way wrath is revealed, is revealed. Okay? The text simply says, God gave them over to their sinful desires. Now, church, this is crucial. we got to get this because there is a gigantic, huge um, issue alive and well in our day right now, a gigantic controversy, and it is raging. It's banging on the door of every church, of every company, every corporation, of our government. It's banging on the door. What are you going to do with this issue? And the text tells us in Romans 1 
that God gave them over to their sinful desires and that's how they manifested. This is the wrath. Essentially, God says this, okay, if you want sin and rebellion, you can have it. It's all yours. I'll now allow you to experience the full consequences of your sinful rebellion. Go for it. So here's what God is saying. There's a a season when when you begin to go off into sin. Let's just say a nation goes off into sin, and God will convict, he will call, he will send messengers, he will send messages, he will, he will woo, he will draw, he will do everything he can to get that nation and that people to repent and return to him. But when they don't, there is a line, and I don't know where that line is. I'm not God. Only God knows the line. But there is a line when God says, okay, I'm no longer going to strive with you. If that's the way you want to go, go for it. And he takes his hand off. He takes the hand of restraint off. He takes the hand of conviction off. And he lets you go. He literally lets you go. Go for it. Go have all, go do whatever you want to do. Uh, Go for it. I am letting go. And note that the first and most prominent effect of being given over to sinful desires is sexual confusion on a colossal level. That's what Romans 1 is showing. When God gives a nation or a person up or or a person or a nation and they continue in their sin and insist on it, they are turned over to sexual confusion on a colossal level. The text describes sexual impurity, the degradation of their bodies, shameful lusts, and the shameful acts of homosexual perversion that is condoned and celebrated by that culture that has been turned over. The text also speaks of bodily penalties for such, uh, such action, probably disease and other damaging consequences that come from doing what is unnatural and using the body for purposes for which it was not designed. Welcome to the 21st century decaying and decadent West. Because that's where we are, church. Now, I'm talking about the culture, not the church the culture. But that's where, are we not there? Now watch carefully what comes next. Many misunderstand what Romans 1 is saying. And they point to this text to warn us that God will punish us for the condoning and celebrating of homosexuality. We go out and we preach, well, you know, if if you live that way, God's going to punish you for it. You're going to be punished if you go that way. But guess what? Romans 1 does not say God will punish for this. Romans 1 says that the widespread condoning and celebrating of homosexuality is God's punishment. It is how His wrath manifests itself. Are y'all with me? He's not saying, now you go off in that way, God's going to punish you. And I do believe there's a chastening for going that way. But that's not the message of Romans 1. Romans 1 is telling us that when God turns that person or that nation or that civilization over and they begin to celebrate and condone what God has condemned, that is the wrath. It's the first and chief indication that God has given us over 
to our stubborn sinfulness and to our lust. When what he has condemned is celebrated and condoned, then that is the wrath. It's how it's manifested. For over 60 years now, America has celebrated promiscuity, pornography, fornication, cohabitation, contraception, and even to some extent adultery. Yet the resulting carnage of that decision that began in the 60s, what we call the sexual revolution, the resulting carnage of abortion, STDs, AIDS, single motherhood, absent fathers, poverty, and all sorts of heinous consequences on our children has not been enough to bring us to our senses or to make us repent. You talk about stiff-necked. In 1965, in the Supreme Court case of Griswold versus Connecticut, the court ruled that the private use of contraceptives was a constitutional right. You know, they come up with that constitutional stuff every time. They, they bring something into the constitutional arena that the Constitution doesn't even address. But when that happened, the pill became available to anyone at any time, and this broke the mental connection between sex, procreation, and marriage. Sex was reduced to two adults doing what they pleased in order to have fun or share their love or actually their lust. And it became open season. Now this decision opened the door to increasingly debased sexual expression and irresponsibility. Through that door came the homosexual community a couple of decades later and its demands for acceptance. And the wider culture now, right now, debased, darkened, and deeply confused, cannot comprehend what is frankly obvious, that homosexual acts are contrary to nature. <laughs> What's so quiet in here? <laughs> hey, guess what? The very design of the body, of the actual body parts, shouts against it. Scripture, not biased, bigoted, backward people, but Scripture informs us we have, uh, that we've gone out of our collective mind. Our senseless minds have become darkened, confused, foolish, and debased. This is wrath, folks. This is wrath. <laughs> this is what it means to be given over to our sinful desires. And this is what happens when God finally has to say to a culture, you want sin, you can have it till it comes out of your ears. You go, guy. You go, gal. Go for it. And I'm going to lift my hand. And the fallen nature that's in every person born, that Adamic nature, never rises higher. It always descends lower. How many tens of millions of aborted babies have been sacrificed to our lusts? How many children live in poverty without fathers in confused and broken homes? How many Americans suffer with STDs and have died by AIDS? Yet, amazingly, in none of this has America repented. And so in all of our continued sin, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Are you all with me tonight? Now, I know this is a strong word. I know it is. But, okay, my, my book is the Bible, 
and I'm teaching the Bible, and you can think what you want of the Bible, but don't get mad at me. I'm just the Western Union boy. I'm the messenger. I'm just reading to you what it says. I'm simply reading it to you. And this is what God's revelation says. Notice again the homosexuals are not being singled out. It's not just the homosexual community that comes under God's wrath. The wrath is against all ungodliness and wickedness of all who suppress the truth. And that's the entire secular culture. God finally says, enough, and gives us over to our own sinful desires to feel their full effect. We have become, church, so collectively foolish and darkened in our intellect that we now as a culture celebrate homosexuality, which Scripture calls disordered. The Greek word is paraphusis. It's two words, paraphusis meaning contrary to or against nature. It's not what God intended. That's all it's saying. It wasn't in the mind of the designer. It was not his plan. Say, well, what about people born that way? There's no proof whatsoever. Not one thimbleful, not one scintilla of scientific proof of any gay gene. Did y'all catch that? There's not one. Now, that may make you mad. It may make some of my listeners mad. But you say, well, then why do I feel this way? Because we all have a fallen nature, and that fallen nature manifests in many different ways. But were you born that way, like like an African-American is born with dark skin, or a Hispanic is born with brown skin, or a person is born with red hair? Are you born that way? No. Not according to Scripture, and not according to the latest science. They've never found a gay gene, so it's not a civil rights issue. Very, very important there, because that's how all the doors are being opened to the homosexual community, this this claim that it's a civil rights issue. It's not. According to the Scripture, gayness is a choice. Now, Paul goes on to say, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also, what do they do, everybody? Approve of those who practice them. Now, there's where, this is what it means to be given over to a deeply darkened mind. When you start approving of what God has condemned, The celebration of homosexuality is God's judgment. Did y'all catch that? Because I know it takes a while for that to click. The celebration of homosexuality is God's judgment. When a culture gets to the place where they're celebrating what God has condemned, that is a signal that God has turned it over. And testifies that according to the text, God's given us over. There's one last step down the ladder into depravity. Let me just go over it, and then we're done with this hugely edifying message. (laughs) But truthful. Amen? I mean, do we not need to know the truth about this? We really do. Paul says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind 
So that's the third giving over, to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. See, when God gives you over to a depraved mind, uh, the King James says reprobate, it means you can no longer think right. You can't judge between right and wrong anymore. You can't discern good from bad. When you're given over to a depraved mind, we might say it's a blind mind. A depraved mind is the mind that can no longer think right. Paul vividly describes the depraved mind. Here's the way the depraved mind begins to act and the way it is. Quote, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They're not content with what's there. They got to invent new ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. There you have a, the laundry list of what a depraved or a, or a reprobate mind looks like. He closes by showing their refusal to repent. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they continue to do these very things knowing that God is against it and they go a step further and approve and celebrate those who practice them. Are we there? Yeah, we're there. Better believe it. Well, what do we do, Pastor Jeff? Well, we do what the Roman church did, what the first century church did. Because that's the Greco-Roman world that Paul was describing to the Roman church. And what did the church do? It rose up. It preached the gospel. It turned the world upside down. It won thousands of souls to Christ. Uh, I mean, the, the church got red hot. And, and until Constantine came along um, uh, a few centuries down the road and officially made Christianity the state religion, the church was doing great. But when Constantine said Christianity is the state religion, then everybody became a Christian without needing to repent. And my personal conviction is Constantine ruined the church when he did that. Up until Constantine, which was about three centuries of the early church in full swing, they turned the world upside down and totally brought about a transformation in Rome. So where are we? We're in the middle of a debased backslidden, reprobate culture. And what is God telling us to do? Put on the armor of light. Put on the armor of God. Get the gospel on your lips, the sword in one hand, the shield of faith in the other. Stand up and speak up and don't bend, bow, break, or back down and declare Jesus without apology and without fear for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's all stand together, can we? So I'm not preaching tonight, doom and gloom. I'm wanting you to see where the culture is according to Scripture. We need to know this, okay? So when our government stands up and says, particularly Justice Kennedy, who wrote the, for the majority opinion when the Supreme Court struck down DOMA, 5-4, he called you and me bigots, haters, backward. He opened the door to red-hot persecution against the church. 
He went way over his authority. Who gave him the right to define marriage? But what he said in his, in his majority opinion, unfortunately, opened the door to red-hot persecution against you and me. We will pay a price for what he wrote, but God will win in the end. God will. He always does. But there, there is our Supreme Court and our government and our president totally agreeing with it. Let God be true and every man a liar. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. This truth is hard truth, but Lord, this is Romans 1. This is what you told us. This is how wrath is manifested. And you showed it to us. And Lord, we know we live in a very dark time. Yet, Lord, so did the early church. And so did those in the Great Awakening. And so did those in the Reformation. And now we have our moment to shine and to not back down and be bold in the Lord and bold in our Christ. And so, Lord, we ask you, as you have given us this understanding of what's happening in our culture, you will help us to come out swinging and see God do great things in these last days. And we believe you for it and we thank you for it and we bless you for it. In the mighty name of the Lamb of God, in Jesus' name, Amen. Give him a hand of praise.